Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, everybody. Happy New Year. First Sunday of the year. I'm excited to be here. Are you guys excited? Yeah, 2024. Man, crazy, crazy. Back growing up, I never thought we'd reach 2024, to be honest. But here we are, uh, start of a new year, and I'm excited. We're going through a new series. After spending a little over a year in the book of Genesis, uh, and then we did the book of Galatians, we are going to look at some of our favorite stories about Jesus, some of the teachings of Jesus, and really orient our hearts as we look ahead towards Easter here in a couple of months. Why don't you stand with me? And we're going to read our passage for today. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. And I think we'll have the slides up here. Uh, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this somewhat obscure story. And so God, I just pray that tonight you'd be with us, that as we start this new year, we could focus our hearts, our minds, our souls on you. God, I pray that everyone in here would receive from you that word that they need to receive, that we just sense your Holy Spirit working and active in our midst. In your name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. Jesus can be really confusing, amen? Probably not what you expect a pastor to say, maybe even at the start of a new year, but it's true. Jesus can be really confusing. When you read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, you can see that Jesus oftentimes was very, very confusing. He confused strangers, and Jesus even confused the people who knew him and loved him the most, his own mother and father. So if you've ever been confused by Jesus, what he's done or hasn't done in your own life, You are in good company. This is what Jesus does. If you're taking notes this evening, you can write this down, that Jesus will confuse you, but you need to continue to trust him. Jesus will confuse you, but you need to continue to trust him. And yes, I know there's one more blank there. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Dr. Luke, he's our author here. He's the one, uh, the gospel with with the really good Christmas story that they quote in Charlie Brown's Christmas special. We played that for us on the Christmas Eve Eve service. Linus comes out, 
says this is what Christmas is all about. And that's from the Gospel of Luke, which we just read. And Christmas, which we just finished, is that feel-good time of the year, right? We got, we got lights and cookies and Christmas movies and all this stuff that just fills us with nostalgia. And we have this sense of, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then January hits, right? It's kind of the bleak midwinter. And sometimes it's like, what day of the week is it? You know, is it still so dark? All this stuff. And when you're looking at the gospel stories, you've got kind of the early parts of the Gospel of Luke are these kind of feel-good passages. We we have angels and shepherds and babies being born. Then Dr. Luke, our author, he squeezes in this really random story about 12-year-old Jesus. In between Jesus' birth and Jesus' baptism, we have this story right here. Well, why did Dr. Luke, our author, include this seemingly random story in between shepherds visiting the stable and the story of Jesus being baptized by his cousin in the Jordan River? What is Luke doing here? Why does he include this story? Well, again, if we look at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see that Luke, he carefully investigated all the claims about Jesus. So he went around interviewing people, talking with Mother Mary and the disciples who knew him best and in just a few decades after Jesus lived, he died and was buried and then rose again. Luke is investigating all these stories and he's writing this down. So therefore, he must have had some reason for including this story that's so easy for us to just kind of skip over. So why? Why does Luke put this one story about 12-year-old Jesus here in his gospel? Well, Luke is preparing us for what's going to come in the rest of the story. He's getting us ready for the rest of the gospel story. It's easy to jump just from the cradle and Christmas to Easter, but there's all this stuff in between that Jesus does. And after the feel-good time of Christmas ends, then what comes next? The bleak midwinter. Luke is preparing us for the rest of the year. Luke is preparing us for what's going to happen in the rest of of his gospel and the rest of his story. See, Luke wants us to know that even though Jesus is going to confuse you, he is totally committed to you. That Jesus might do some things that seem a little confusing, but he is totally committed to you and me. In verse 46, we see there's these people that they don't know Jesus. There's these religious scholars in Jerusalem, and they're astonished by Jesus. So you don't normally have 12-year-olds who can keep up uh, and debate with the top scholars Jesus is outside the box of what is normal. See, what we know is Jesus is going to shatter your preconceived ideas, your preconceived boxes that you want to put him in, what he should be like. We see Jesus in our culture. People want to put him in the same box as all these other good, moral, religious teachers. But Jesus goes around, he he forgives people's sins. He accepts their worship. He claims to be equal to God. He's not the same as moral teachers like Gandhi or the Dalai Lama. Forgiving people's sins and accepting their worship makes you either a raving, egotistical madman or he is who he claimed to be. Not just some good religious teacher, but the son of the living God. God clothed in flesh, the divinity meeting humanity. That's who he is. He doesn't give us the option to just say he's just some good religious teacher with some teachings. He's either a horrible, terrible person 
or he is who he claimed to be, the son of the living God. So the second thing we're going to see is that Jesus is going to shatter the boxes that we try to put him in. Not only is Jesus confounding to strangers, he's just as astonishing to those people who knew him best. He's 12 years old. Again, I have a 13-year-old, right? Like, that's not a toddler. That's not a first grader. Like, we look at this, we're like, Jesus should know better. Like, he should know his parents are going to wonder, where is he? But he doesn't tell them where he's going or what he's doing. We can see that Jesus will confound even those who knew him intimately and those who trusted him. See, in Jesus' culture, when you turned 13, you became a man. You had full financial responsibility for yourself and the the new household you're going to establish and take care of. So the 12th year of your life would be this year of intense mentorship from the father to the son. The son would learn a trade. For Jesus, that meant most likely learning how to work with wood or stone by his adopted father, Joseph. The father would also mentor his son in matters of religion and, and faith and understanding, hey, this is our rich Jewish heritage. He would explain to them, hey, this is why we have a temple. This is why we have the sacrificial system. He would teach his son about the Roman emperor and how he, far away though, is in charge of us. And this Roman emperor claims to be the savior of the world. But son, our hope is not in some far off emperor. Our hope is in God and that someday the Messiah is going to come and be the true savior of the world. And so, son, we're waiting. We're waiting for this promised one. See, the father would make sure his 12-year-old son was ready to do what he was made to do. So most likely, Joseph would have been walking Jesus, his 12-year-old son, around and through the different streets of Jerusalem, explaining everything about the Passover. See, the Passover was the greatest event in the life of the Jewish people. Every year they would celebrate that God brought them out of slavery and bondage from the Egyptian empire and into the promised land. This is the last Passover Jesus would celebrate with his parents before becoming a man at the age of 13. And so after this intense Passover experience, Mary and Joseph, they head back home, and Jesus stays behind. Now, when you and I read this story, we think, man, they must have been really bad parents because they lost Jesus for three days, right? Well, again, their culture is a little different than ours. Their family systems were much tighter. Aunts and uncles and grandparents would help raise their kids. And so most likely, Mary and Joseph traveled for a day, thought Jesus was with some aunts and uncles, realized he wasn't, you know, took a day's journey back and then spent a day searching until they finally found him. Now, can you imagine what Mary was like when she finally found Jesus in the temple? I love what she says to Jesus when she finds when she finds him, she says, hey, your father and I, right? Like, kids, you know you're in trouble when mom pulls out the, like, just wait till your dad gets home, right? Like, uh, your father and I, like, you know. And so Mary's like, how could you do this to your father? The one who's mentoring you, who's teaching you this, this craft, this trade, who's been mentoring you in religion and our people's history, the one you're supposed to be like, how dare you dishonor your father now of all times? But the secret is Jesus is refocusing the purpose of his life. He says to her, Mom, I am honoring my father. But see, Jesus didn't mean Joseph. Jesus meant his 
heavenly Father. Now, again, we have to kind of culturally understand this. At this time, that was unheard of to refer to God as your Father. For us, many of us, it's so commonplace we don't even think about it. But no, this was startling. In the Old Testament, no one would address God as Father. That was way, way too intimate, way too personal. Jesus is doing something here that virtually no one has ever done before. And Jesus is saying that his relationship with his heavenly Father is more important than his relationship with his earthly family. Jesus is refocusing the purpose of his life. I love movies with, like, the reluctant hero type, right? Like Harry Potter struggling to, you know, uh, step into his destiny, or Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, or Spider-Man, these characters who have to, like, embrace their destiny. You know, with great power comes great responsibility, and they kind of don't want to be the hero, but then they finally step into their calling. Jesus is not like that. (laughs) He's not a reluctant hero. He knows who he is and why he's there. He knows and understands his purpose. And if we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which that's our hope as followers of Jesus, see, what, the thing is that you and I are going to be constantly confounded by Jesus. He's going to confound our expectations of how he should behave and how he should treat you. But to be like Jesus and follow in his footsteps, we too have to refocus our lives and what we're all about. See, too often the message of Christianity is, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then he's going to bless me, and all of life is going to be up and to the right, and it's just going to get better and better and better. But the truth is, in our lives, Jesus is going to do some things that are going to confound and confuse you. Jesus is going to do some things that don't fit your picture of what he should be like. I think sometimes we think if we're following Jesus and we do our best to serve him, then bad things are never really going to happen to us. In the 1950s, there was a group of missionaries who traveled to eastern Ecuador to tell a remote tribe about the love of Jesus. And the day before they left to go make contact with the Alka tribe, they were singing hymns of protection, kind of like we were just singing here. They were singing, Jesus, be our shield and our defender. And the next day, they got in an airplane and they set off to tell these people about Jesus. And that day, Jim Elliott and four other men were brutally killed. And they left behind wives and children. Why did God let this happen? Well, after the death of Jim Elliott, his widow, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, spent two years as a missionary to that same tribe that killed her husband. And returned to the United States after many years in South America, she became widely known as the author of over 20 books and as a speaker. And here's what Elizabeth Elliot wrote years and years later. She said this. She said, God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted, if thou be the son of God, come down from that cross. There is unbelief, there is even rebellion in the attitude that says, God has no right to do this to five men. Unless those men had long since given themselves without reservation to do the will of God. So far as they knew, they were to be plain, ordinary missionaries. For us widows, the questions as to why the men who had trusted God to be both shield and defender should be allowed to be speared to death was not one that could be smoothly or finally answered in 1956, nor yet sounds in 1996 when she wrote this. 
God did not answer Job's questions either. I believe with all my heart that God's story has a happy ending, but not yet. It takes faith to hold on to that in the face of the great burden of experience, which seems to prove otherwise. The God who could take a murderer like Moses, an adulterer like David, and a traitor like Paul and make them strong servants of his is a God who can redeem savage Indians using as the instruments of his peace a conglomeration of sinners who sometimes look like heroes and sometimes like villains. For we are no better than pots of earthenware to contain this treasure, the revelations of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot went through a horrible, horrible tragedy. She lost her husband, the father of her children. But she learned that following Jesus means that sometimes he's going to confound and confuse you and allow you to go through things that you don't understand. But that can lead you to refocus your life. If we choose to follow Jesus, it won't be long until, like Mother Mary, you look at Jesus and say, how can you treat me like this? And you'll find that Jesus doesn't often give you much of an answer in the short term. So right about now, you might be thinking, Eric, why? Why should I follow Jesus if he's this confusing and troubling? Well, here's why you should follow Jesus in spite of him doing things that are going to confuse you. Well, I think, and this is pure Eric speculation now, I think that as Joseph walked Jesus around Jerusalem, God's heavenly Father was speaking to Jesus at the same time, at a much deeper level. When his adopted father, Joseph, explained the temple to Jesus, God the Father whispered to his son that soon the people of God would not need a temple because they would be the temple of God. And as Joseph walked Jesus through the Passover and explained the role of the lamb, I think God the Father whispered to Jesus that he would be the final lamb to take away the sins of the world. And as Joseph explained why the Jewish people painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their houses during Passover, God the Father explained to Jesus that his blood would be painted on the doorposts of the universe so that all would have the opportunity to enter into God's family and be saved from death. If he received all that from his true father and still Jesus went home with his earthly parents and submitted to his parents, what does that mean? That Jesus is dedicated to loving and serving his parents. Jesus is dedicated to serving those whom he confuses. That even though he's going to confuse his parents, even though he's going to confuse us, Jesus is dedicated to serving us. Here's how Tim Keller, a pastor for a number of years in New York City, put it. When a storm comes up, don't say, Jesus, why did you allow me to go through this storm? Instead, say to Jesus, when you face the storm of eternal injustice, you didn't abandon me in that storm, but you stayed in that storm for me. You took my place on the cross and endured the consequences of my sin. You are committed to me just like you were committed to your parents. And how does the story that Luke tells in between the shepherds and Jesus' baptism end? Luke 1, or Luke 2, 51 through 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. All right, so what, is, what does Mary do after this confusing, confounding situation? She takes all this confusing information and she treasures it in her heart. She ponders it. She meditates on it. And that's what you and I have to do. 
And when we go through things where Jesus doesn't act in the way we expected him to act, when things in life don't turn out the way we think it will, when 2023 was like, man, it wasn't exactly the year I thought it was going to be, we can take this and we can treasure in our hearts. Perhaps right now things are going great in your life and you're not at all confused about what Jesus is doing in your life. Hold on because it's coming. And when that happens, treasure what you know about Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. And as you trust and follow him, he's going to duplicate his character in you. And as you trust him, as you ponder him, as you read the words of Jesus, as you follow what Jesus did, you're going to grow in wisdom and maturity and favor with God and men. See, Jesus grew in wisdom, maturity, and favor. And that's what God wants for you, to grow in wisdom and maturity and favor. He wants you to be like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. We'll never 100% be like Jesus this side of eternity. We're never going to be perfect. But we say, Jesus, that's our true north. We want to be like Jesus I want to be like Jesus if Jesus was my gender and, and in my family and in my job. How would he act? How would he respond? How would he treat my neighbors? How would he treat my spouse, my kids? That's what I want to be. And if we want to focus that, then we need to refocus on the things that Jesus focused on. So what does that mean exactly? Again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. That's the Greek word Sophia. That's the knowledge of and practice of the requirements of godly and upright living. We have our men's Bible study. I'm going to give a little plug out for us. Thursday mornings at 7 a.m., we gather together in our ministry center, and we just finished a study on the wisdom literature, going through Job and Ecclesiastes uh, and Proverbs and the Song of Songs. And we're saying, hey, we want to get the wisdom of God in us to be the husbands and fathers and be who we want to be. We, get, we got to focus on, on getting more of God's wisdom in us. And so here's the action step for you. I want to encourage you to daily read your Bible. Journal. Listen to wise Bible teachers through your favorite podcast app. Read books on theology and Christian living. Watch the Bible Project videos on the YouTube. There's so many resources right now for us to grow in wisdom. As you start this year off, um, I want to recommend a book I've recommended before, Atomic Habits. It's a great book. It's not a Christian book. Um, but again, if, if you want to grow in, in better habits, if you want to become the kind of person uh, that's like Jesus, you have to change some of your habits. And so, uh, again, this book lays out some, some great ways for that. Like, hey, if you miss a day, don't miss two days. You know, make it fun. Make it something that like, hey, you know, uh, you only have caffeine, you know, coffee or whatever it is, when you read your Bible. You know, give yourself a little bit of a reward. There's different ways that you can make these habits fun, and you can stack them up, and things that you, then you're going to keep going in this. Because uh, if you want to be a different kind of person than you were last year, this year, if you want to be wiser this year than last year, you have to change some of your habits. Otherwise, you'll get the same exact results that you've gotten last year and the year before and the year before. Let this be the year that we grow in wisdom. If, if you're looking for some recommendations on some good books on theology or uh, other Bible teachers to listen to, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. But again, there's so many resources right now. Let's commit to growing in wisdom. Get in the word. Number two, grow in maturity. It's the Greek word halikia. It means maturity. 
This is what Jesus grew in as well. Here's the thing is following Jesus is meant to be a team sport. We lose sight of that a lot of times. It's just like, hey, me and Jesus. But so many of the commands in the New Testament, we went through this in the book of Galatians, it's, you know, it's all of y'all. It's bear one another's burdens. It's not just one-on-one thing. It's all of us bearing each other's burdens, all of us praying for each other, all of us showing hospitality. Following Jesus is a team sport. You can't do this alone. You know, commit to your community group. Commit to your Bible study or whatever you want to do it. I don't think you can gain maturity without journeying with others. One of the things, doing life with others is a great mirror to expose all the ways we need to be mature in Christ. That as you're just spending time with other godly people, you're just going to see what are those areas of our life that we need the Holy Spirit to be the dominant influence in our lives and how to grow us and change us. And so if you want to grow in maturity, do that with others. Journey with, with, with other people, same gender, different genders. I love, like, Tuesday night's our community group, right? We get together, we discuss God's word, we have fun. Then Thursday morning, most of us guys that get together for our Bible study are in different community groups. So that's fun, just to kind of rub shoulders with different guys. You know, and then you should have different people that you should be with, get different perspectives. I think it's so good to do life with people that are in similar life stages as you. But then also, like, hey, like hanging out with our teenagers, like tonight after this, like I get a different perspective when I hear uh, a junior higher's thoughts on faith and life. Or when you're hanging out with someone who's, you know, at, at a different season ahead of you. You know, maybe they have got grown kids or grandkids, whatever there might be. There's so much wisdom to be gained by being with others who are different than you. And that's the beauty of the church, is the thing that binds us together is not our politics, it's not the sports teams we root for, it's Jesus and him crucified and him risen. And we come to the table, we come to communion, we come together in the family of Christ and say, hey, let's learn from one another. So again, if you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to grow in maturity, do this together as a team. And then number three, to grow in favor and grace. Jesus grew in wisdom and maturity and favor. And that's the Greek word charis. It's grace. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, lovely. Uh, there's a guy named Dr. Andrew Huberman who has some just interesting thoughts uh, on neuroplasticity and things like that. And one of his big ideas is just, if you want to live a longer and healthier life, do hard things. And they're saying, he's saying, like, you know, cold plunge, that, like, that's a thing that a lot of people are really into. You wake up in the morning, I know it sounds crazy, right? But they're saying, yeah, that helps you neurologically. But simply the fact of doing something that is unpleasant, they've shown over the years that helps you live a longer and healthier life. It just grows persistence. It grows long-suffering. It grows things in us that we can say no to the short-term immediate in favor of the long-term things that we want the most. And so if we want to grow in wisdom, we got to surround ourselves and input things into our minds. Read good books. Listen to good podcasts. The Bible Project podcast is a wonderful resource. There's there's, uh, videos online. Again, there's so many different things. Grow in wisdom. Get in the Word. Grow in maturity. Journey with others. It's a team sport. Get in community. Again, if one of our community groups doesn't work, just find one or two other people. You can read a book together. You can discuss a podcast together. You can go for a walk, meet at the dome, walk together, talk together. We should all have people in our life that are helping us grow in maturity. 
and then grow in favor and grace by living on mission. Get in the word, get in community, live on mission. Kind of one final thought, though, as we take this journey together of following in the footsteps of Jesus, it's important to remember that following Jesus is about progress, not perfection, as we walk in the way of Jesus. We're never going to fully realize this, so we have to give ourselves lots of grace. We have to rely on Jesus, his tender, loving compassion on us, that when we do mess up, then we pick ourselves back up. We say, Jesus, be with me. Help me. Help me become the person that you want me to be. Imagine if as a community, we took this seriously this year. We said, hey, things are going to be different in 2024 than they were in 2023. That you could be healthier at the end of this year than you were at the start of this year. That you could be filled with more wisdom at the end of this year than you were at the start. More maturity, more grace. I believe that's what Jesus wants for us. I was thinking about this uh, as we wrap up here tonight. Just, I think a lot of us are still dealing with COVID and 2020 and all this stuff. There were a number of us pastors, myself included, we walked into like 2020 vision, right? It was so clever. Like we're gonna have a crystal clear vision for what the next year is gonna hold. And then the whole world blew up and like we didn't know anything, right? I think it's easy now to just be like, well, we don't know, and like not set any goals, you know, not try to like look ahead with any kind of vision, but I don't think that's what God wants for us. I think God says, hey, let your vision be Christ. Be like him. Make a plan, though. It's not just going to happen by accident. It's not just going to, you're not just going to accidentally grow in wisdom and grace and maturity. We have to have a plan for this. One of the things I would like us to do, we've done this a number of other times as well, is to spend the next 40 days in intentional prayer. Starting tomorrow, it'll go through until uh, February uh, 19th. And say, God, we are going to be a people of prayer. And we're just going to commit, you know, maybe just setting your alarm. Again, this last verse, Jesus grew in wisdom, favor, and statue. It's Luke 2.52. Hey, let's just do this. Set an alarm. 2.52. PM, probably not AM. And then just take a minute, and every day the alarm goes off, just pray. God, lead me. Help me to grow in wisdom and, and maturity and grace. Pray for your community. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Pray for the lost ones that you know that, wanna, that you want to see, them to see salvation, be found by Jesus. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be disciplined. Let's be committed and see what God does in and through our community at the end of this year. I'm going to invite the band up, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing uh, two more worship songs. We just respond to God and invite him in. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story in between uh, your birth and your baptism. And that even though sometimes you confuse us and confound us, that we can still trust you because we know you're totally committed to us. God, I pray for everyone here, those who are watching online, God, that they would grow this year in wisdom, and maturity, and grace. God, that we would look back at the end of 2024 and just marvel at the ways you grew us and changed us and matured us. God, thank you that even in the times we mess up, God, you, you love us so much and you're there to pick us back up. And so I pray right now that you would be our strength and our helper and our peace. 
But whatever season we find ourselves in, God, that we would trust you, we would follow you, we would look to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.